previously on Box Cutters. I'm going to go back in time. Just having an urgent debriefing. <clears throat> Everyone's feeling most satisfied with the outcome. <laughs> if I was going to watch one thing this week, it would be Crazy Malaysian Hotel MTV. I love that channel. <laughs> I love that channel so much. Box cutters. Box cutters. Box cutters. Box cutters. Hello and welcome to Box Cutters, episode 281. Let's play Let's Get My Wife Sacked. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, Gwen Peters. Taking you taking over from me. You're saying your own name now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. right, fair enough. Yeah. And to my right, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Uh, I like how you, you jumped in there like I'd forgotten your name. Yeah. That's yeah. good. That's good, Glenn. <laughs> That's, it's like you're so excited to be on. I'm good, Peters. I'm good, Peters. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> we're, ha- we're happy to have you back on. Thanks. Show you. business. I love show <laughs> business. <laughs> I just can't get enough of it. Oh, the glamour. Glamour. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's nothing but glamour in, uh, in this week's episode of Box Cutters, Glenn. We've Rid- got, uh, we got heaps. Ridiculous amounts? Ridiculous amounts. Awesome. Does the name Rick Kalowski mean anything to you? Did he vanish at some point? No, that's Harold Holt uh, you're thinking of. Yeah, oh. it's, yeah you're confusing him. Is he a wrestler? That's uh, that's Killer, Kowal- Killer Kowalski. Kowal- that's Kowalski. Yeah. Oh. That's Kowalski, who was a wrestler and swimmer. Swimmer. Yeah, yeah. No, he is. Uh, he's, he's actually uh, the non-on-air team member uh, from At Home with Julia. Oh, fantastic. He's, uh, executive producer and writer. He joined us uh, on the phone a little while ago. A discussion between me and Brett and John about At Home with Julia. And now that it's all finished, we uh, we think. It's a good time. Let's reflect. Let's reflect. It's it, it's a, an interesting chat. We're going to have a little chat as well about the rule of three, Brett. Last week I said to you, I'm not sure about it anymore. What? What? How can you not be? I've just seen too many new shows that I don't want to watch. So. Yeah, but that's why you've got to get to three. Well, we're going to have this conversation later on in the show. I think I think it deserves a, a long conversation. Plus, I think, Glenn, you've got some firm views about Rule of Three. I've been thinking, and you've got to watch out when I start thinking. Yeah, it's everyone's in trouble. <laughs> We've got some letters to box cutters. We've got one thing. Uh, no Toby Halligan. As always, though, we're going to kick things off with the box cutters news. <laughs> And now for the news. In, uh, in, 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 oh, someone died news. Uh. AC Nielsen, the son of AC Nielsen. Yeah, get that. Yeah. Americans, they love a junior. AC Nielsen Jr., who, uh, who took over his father's company in the, uh, in, in the 40s and uh, worked it until he died, died oh. last week. Uh, at the age of 92 he uh he he's the man who is uh, responsible for the first television rating system how do you feel about that josh sad very sad not very sad at all <laughs> <laughs> he uh you know he he really transformed the uh the the way that uh television was not not necessarily watched, but made because of the rating system and, and the way he calculated the the ratings uh, changed the way that TV was was made it because was, they could be completely at the mercy of what the advertisers wanted. Correct by looking at the uh, the breakdowns on the figures. Yeah. Correct. Uh, so he, uh, he he passed away last week. Probably so, um, uh, the reason for for the the lowest common denominatorization of uh, modern TV as we know it. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, and Gilmore Girls. And <laughs> Talking of surveys of the public. Yes. Right. Thank you. The, uh, I was looking for a segue. The, this uh, is very interesting that, uh, that we've gone beyond just looking at the viewership figures of At Home with Julia on the ABC. Uh, Michelle Grattan writes for The Age that, uh, <laughs> and it is what Michelle Grattan does now, uh, that almost half... Of, uh, of the people surveyed by research firm UMR regarding At Home with Julia believed that a scene showing actors who played Ms. Gillard and her partner Tim Matheson supposedly having sex on the floor of her office demeaned the Prime Minister. 
four in ten people said it did not. And then there's like all sorts of numbers run down from there. Uh, Labor voters were more likely to regard the show uh, to regard the scene as demeaning than uh, coalition supporters. But uh, women thought it was uh, much more demeaning than men thought it was. Was this only of people who'd actually watched it? It doesn't say. Or they just heard about the controversy. It, it doesn't say. It, Michelle did not write that. If, in, it, uh, if it was only about, if it, if it could be anybody who had heard that uh, this, was, this was a scene in the show, it, it's, uh, it's not really a true survey of, do you think that scene demeaned the, the Prime Minister? Because of the, it was actually a touching scene. It was it was a, it was a really touching show. scene, and the the thing that gets me about Michelle Grattan's article is is not that did people think it was demeaning or not demeaning. Like, fine, it, it's it's that more than half. She says fifty four percent of the one thousand people interviewed said it was not appropriate for the ABC to use taxpayers' funds to make such a program. I find this um quite interesting that Michelle Grattan wrote this. I, I I think I'm surprised she actually took this up. It, it's a survey based story. I'm, I'm actually surprised at that. Yeah, it's it, it is it is a weird it's weird reporting of it. It's uh it's it's a weird story and it's a weird thing to ask people if they think it's an appropriate use of taxpayer funds. Now that the idea of appropriate use of taxpayer funds is so complex. The, the idea that you can live in a society and uh, and and play a part in the society and then come out of it when you when you so choose just say well I'm not going to take part in this I don't think that uh, money should be spent on this thing but it should be spent on the thing is a lot of people didn't like the show I think a lot of people didn't get the show uh, the and that's that's part and parcel, but for the ABC to not spend money to experiment, for the ABC to not try to to make uh, television that is going to push the medium, which which I think at home with Julia uh, tried to do. Well, unfortunately, I've got the opinion that any journalist who starts the should taxpayers' money be spent on this sort of art or that sort of art, I think it is the laziest, most cynical question ever asked. And those journalists you will see at an art at an art function every time. They know it presses buttons. Oh, yeah. And it's it's Chaz Licadello made a very good point that you'd in your interview, that you only get these controversies with comedy. Now, there's, ta- I'm sure there's taxpayer-funded money in Underbelly. There is some screen grants in there. Oh, definitely. Should taxpayers' money be spent on that? Uh, on, uh, on, on Underbelly? Should it be spent on Underbelly? We'll take your calls right now. <laughs> or, the, or the Bush Rangers show, whatever that is. Oh, uh, Pack to the Bush Rangers. Oh, yeah, pa- oh, Pack to the Bush. I'm offended by that. It's, and there, and there is, there, there, there is uh, definitely in into uh, the first series of Underbelly. I don't know since then because it's it's been quite profitable, but uh, but yeah, there's definitely money uh, from from funding bodies going into those into those productions. Uh, but no, nobody nobody complains about it because everybody thinks that they have a right to complain about comedy, mm. and and they all think that uh, the text. Payers' dollars should be micromanaged to their tastes. Yes. But the word offence is a weapon now. I've seen it used at the football to try and get people thrown out. So, and, that's, and, and, that is, and that is a problem as well. And when you start talking about taxpayers' money, I'm always reminded of, uh, of an article I saw on A Current Affair a, a few years ago where somebody was asked, well, do you, think, uh, do you think taxpayers' money should be spent on this thing? And they said, no, no, I don't. I think the government should pay for it. <laughs> and this is, you know, to, to what extent do people actually understand? When you say taxpayers' money, it's, well, that's my money. But is it, if it's government expenditure, well, is it my money anymore? I mean, that's, that's part of it. It's, it's, confusing, it's confusing double talk that is aimed at uh, denigrating the ABC, pure and simple. I think that's, that, that's a, a huge problem hmm. 
with, mm. uh, with and, reporting and like this. Because it's been a, a regular uh, target for the, the uh, conservative rights and, and any time there's another great big new tax, then uh, the ABC is getting some of that funding, surely, and it's biased against them. Well, and, and as we all know, well, as and, we all know. And, and speaking, speaking of bias, there was a, uh, a, an article in The Australian uh, regarding the chaser, or as they call them, the chasers, uh, saying that uh, the ABC is paying the chaser team $1.2 million for their eight-part The Hamster Wheel. Uh, what they vaguely say... Elsewhere in the article is that the entire production is costing $3.2 million, of which the ABC is paying just a little over a third. Uh, they go on to uh, talk about uh, the, the cost of each episode. So at a $3.2 million production, uh, each episode costs around $400,000 to mm. make. Uh, and then there is a, a, a line where they say, in contrast... Internally produced programs the ABC recently axed, The Collectors and Talking Heads, cost just $122,000 and $53,460 per half-hour episode, respectively. Interesting. So that's very, very cheap, having a, a, some internal crew there. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's take a look at The Collectors uh-huh. at $122,000 uh, for the ABC alone, and let's have a look at the $1.2 million that the ABC has put into The Chaser and split that over eight episodes, and we end up with... $150,000 per episode, so not very much more money than The Collectors, and I'm guessing a, a show that reaches a much larger audience than The Collectors. But it's $1 million. It is. It, it's, it is the magic number. It's the magic number. It's, they're paying $1.2 million. They could be paying $1.2 million over 26 episodes. It doesn't matter. It sounds big when the Australian says it. And that is the Box Cutters News. Hi, everyone. It's Nellie Thomas here listening to Box Cutters. It's about cutting box. Um, not something that you'd normally say in polite company, but uh, in a podcast you get away with it. Tune in. So we've mentioned a few times in the show uh, that Rick Kalowski uh, was on the phone with us. Mm-hmm. You, me, Brett. So, wait, you're Brett. I'm Brett. I'm Josh. Yes. And John, who is today played by Glenn. Hi, I'm Glenn Peters. <laughs> uh, no, you're playing John Richards. <laughs> Hi, I'm John Richards. <laughs> oh, that's very good. Thank That's you. very good. So uh, the three of us, we, uh, we we spoke to Rick Kalowski, executive producer and uh, and writer for At Home with Julia. But first, before we go to that, here's a news report from Newsy. Controversy strikes after an episode of ABC Australia's satire At Home with Julia shows a lookalike actress portraying the Prime Minister and her first bloke canoodling under the Aussie flag. The series pokes fun at Prime Minister Julia Gillard and partner Tim Matheson's private lives, but some say ABC has gone too far with its controversial third installment of the satire. <laughs> this is nice, isn't it? Mm. No one to bother us. Not even Bill. Sorry, Julia, it's Bill Shorten. You right? Thought I heard voices. No, Bill, I'm fine. Just having an urgent debriefing. <laughs> Everyone's feeling most satisfied with the outcome. <laughs> Politicians are questioning the funding of the series as a result of the racy one-minute scene. Here's Senator John Williams on Sky News. When you have taxpayers' money, finance the ABC, and you have programs that clearly offend some, then you ask the questions why. And as I said, I've not seen one minute of the program. Watch more, I will not see one minute of the program. The scene has offended the parents of an Australian soldier killed in Afghanistan. Nine News reports. The parents of Aussie digger Marcus Case, who was killed in Afghanistan in May and brought home in a casket wrapped in the flag, say it's disrespectful and a disgrace. Well, we, we just feel disgusted, quite frankly. Yeah, we find it offensive enough. It's a total disrespect for the flag, which, you know, soldiers forever have uh, given their lives under it. It seems the real Prime Minister isn't as hot and bothered by the incident as other Aussie politicians. On Australia's Today Show, she said she wouldn't comment because she has bigger things on her mind. For Newsy, I'm Megan Murphy. Multiple sources, the real story. Joining us now in the studio, John Richards, and on the phone, Rick Kalowski, the uh, co-writer and co-executive producer of the controversial At Home with Julia Rick. Welcome to Box Cutters. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, controversy. I did say that, yeah. I brought it up straight away. Straight away. <laughs> Bam! Straight in there with controversy. Uh, 
were you aware that it would cause? I, I mean, we, we had Chas Lichardello from uh, from the Chaser uh, on the show a, a few weeks ago, and yeah. he was talking to us uh, about the controversies they caused. You know, they they apparently killed kids with cancer. Yeah. You made a show about the prime minister. Did you expect to to get as many headlines as they get? We really didn't. Um, uh, we thought that we thought that although the subject matter was was we thought the subject matter was a little bit risque, at least on paper, because it's about a sitting Prime Minister and that hadn't really been done before, at least in Australia. But um, at the same time, our thinking was, because the, the actual tone of the show is so affectionate and gentle, we thought that well, there would be some ruption before the show aired. As soon as everybody saw the show, they would settle in and either enjoy the show or not enjoy the show, but not focus so much on the controversy. So I was absolutely astonished at just how much controversy it engendered. The one thing that I, well, I, to be honest, we did think would probably generate a bit of controversy was the flag issue, but we never imagined just how much it would or, or how that would play out, I've got to say. That, that felt to me uh, a little bit... Because that, that happened... Uh, so that's, that's episode three, when, when the flag issue happens. And I, I read the, uh, the, the press leading up to it, to me, that actually felt a little bit forced, controversy-wise. It, it felt like the sort of thing that nobody would be aware of it unless the ABC leaked it out no, early. No, they didn't. That, and I, all I, it's very, but I'm glad they're speaking, because one of the things I'd like to clarify is that, in fact, the ABC had nothing to do with it. Our attitude was it was a really sweet, fun scene, and to the extent that it was going to cause any controversy, it would be nice if nobody knew about it before it happened. Mm-hmm. The way that it happened was there were preview copies that sent out, obviously, to TV critics of the episodes, David Knox, who's a lovely guy, who's the editor of TV Tonight, reviewed the episode, and he adverted without giving it away, because he's a decent guy. Mm-hmm. He reviewed the episode positively, but adverted to the fact that there was something controversial in it. Someone from the Herald Sun in Melbourne, I think it was Colin Bickery, which is a News Limited paper, smelled the possibility of a story and tried to find out from David Knox, this is what I understand to be the case, tried to find out from David Knox what the controversial thing was, and Knox wouldn't tell him. He tried to get then... He tried to find out from the ABC. The ABC wouldn't tell him. So, as I understand it, he took from the TV critic at the Herald Sun the copy of the episode, which apparently he wasn't meant to do. It was meant to be seen by the TV critic and not by him. Uh, and he then, as I understood, sort of watched it and then took a screen capture of the shot with the flag and put it in the newspaper, and that's how, it, that's how the story got out. Right. The ABC had no intention of drumming up controversy. And, in fact, you, you notice that one of the things that aggravated the... For example, Neil Mitchell on 3AW in Melbourne so much as the ABC wouldn't allow, didn't want anybody to speak to Neil Mitchell and drum up further controversy. In fact, the ABC's attitude was the opposite, which was actually to say nothing. Uh, you know, you, you, you could have saved yourself about two minutes of explanation there if you had just said Colin Vickery. <laughs> yes, probably. And, and Neil but Mitchell. But I look, I, apologize, I find the story quite interesting. I apologise if it's actually boring, but I find no, no, it it's, 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 it's not. It's just Colin Vickery does this. He, he looks for... He looks for controversy on ABC shows, and this is something that uh, that that uh, we discussed with, with the Chaser as well. Is is particularly Colin Vickery's role in manufacturing outrage? Yes, and I think though that we were forewarned. One thing the ABC did say to us is that you know, look, working for any network brings its own challenges. If you work for a, do a show with a commercial network, you always run the risk that. Uh, you know, people think, suspect the show is going to be tacky. Even with good shows like The Joy of Sets, that new show on Nine, you know, you see this speculation, and the speculation almost immediately is not whether the show is any good or not, but actually how long it will last on Nine and what happens if it doesn't rate 400 million viewers in the first night, they'll yank it off the air and all that sort of stuff. The challenge with the public broadcaster is the, which I, I was a bit of a babe in the woods about, it was my first ABC show, was just how much hostility there is in some quarters of the media towards the public broadcaster. And there's no question that that is agenda-driven. You're seeing it happening against the BBC in the UK and against the ABC in Australia and it's by the same newspaper. It's by the same media entity, obviously. Uh, I've got to say, I, I felt that too, because the show is, like you say, it's, it's I think, surprisingly gentle and also, I, I think, very funny. It's a very funny, old-fashioned sitcom in a way. It, it, it feels more to me like you're playing games with the concept of sitcom than you are with actual politics. We absolutely. I mean, we didn't think... We thought it was a romantic comedy sitcom with elements of politics to it, um, not a political satire with, you know, with a, with a sort of personal element to it. That's how we thought of it. I was, just, in fact, I was just on the phone with Phil Lloyd, who's been over in New Zealand doing something with Qantas, and he's back for the weekend, and he's just here, and I'm on the phone about an hour ago talking about this. We really saw it that way. And it's interesting, all the people who sort of somewhat, I think, with respect, missed the point about the sitcom, the point they've missed is exactly the one you, you just made, which is, you know, we aren't doing a old-fashioned sitcom. You know, the reason that you have those characters in the show, like the sexy gardener and the cleaner, 
those are deliberate uses of the tropes of, of sitcom to make a new point. So that, you know, in the case of the sexy gardener that the, house, that the mistress of the house in a traditional sitcom is always perving on, it turns out that he's gay. So in the third episode, the third episode is clearly an allegory for gay marriage. Um, you know, you have, the, you have the cleaner, the wacky cleaner, who's a great insight and a great philosopher, like lots of other old-fashioned sitcoms. But the reason he's there is twofold. One, well, he has a story relevance, but also he ends up... He, you know, his name is Jesus. Gillard mispronounces his name as Jesus, and clearly that's a comment on, you know, her atheism, you know. Um, but a lot of people have missed that, I think, and they think that it's simply just an old-fashioned sitcom. But, you know, you guys have obviously watched a lot of sitcom and you've picked up that, you know, that it's trying to do something slightly different. Well, and, and, and with that, it, it does remind me a lot of That's My Bush, which didn't air here. No. Uh, but I've I, never seen I've only seen, only seen it once I became aware of it. I was vaguely aware of it. But I only, once I became vaguely aware of it during the writing of our show, I deliberately didn't watch it and then went and watched it only after our show went to air. Right. So you, you actually managed to get your hands on a copy? Yes. Well, you, know, you can find it online and so forth. Great. You can find bits online. Because it, really... I've been looking at, at revisiting it. Because, I mean, it, that was the same, although that was a three-camera laugher. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, uh, otherwise you, you hit a lot, of the, a lot of the same notes, which I find uh, really, really interesting. Because it, when it's done by the South Park guys, uh, a lot of the people who had prejudged your show... Uh, are the same people who had applauded them for yes. for doing that? How, how how do you feel about the the prejudging? Is what really gets me about at home with Julia. That uh, really, it's very Australian um, because we it's not a very not a very intellectual culture, and people don't think very deeply about these things, and their tendency is always to uh, classify. And it's very interesting. You know, look, the bottom line is there are sort of three groups of people who've really commented on the show. Audiences who overwhelmingly, to the extent they've watched it, have liked it, and they've liked it increasingly. Uh, TV critics who've embraced the show virtually universally, positively, in fact, universally. Of all the, you know, to me, there are five, you know, in the mainstream media, there are five TV critics that really matter. There's the Herald, there's the Age, the Daily Telegraph, the Australian, and... Box Cutters. And, and, and <laughs> Box Cutters, obviously, and also TV Tonight. And all of those, all of those, you know, mainstream media television reviewers have embraced the show the people who hate the show are the political media um and i think there are two reasons for that one of them is that they are almost universally progressive in their political view which as it happens i am as well and their definition of satire is satire as long as it's not satire of the left uh and they just can't they can't get their mind around it the second thing about that group of people is that no one likes having their nose rubbed in their own mess. And clearly one of the messages of the show is that we are treating lightheartedly the stuff that the mainstream political media treats with, we think, absurd melodrama and absurd over-seriousness every day. And no one likes having that pointed out to them. No one likes having their own incompetence pointed out to them. And they absolutely hate the show. But audiences, you know, who've watched the show have overwhelmingly embraced it. And, you know, and TV critics have too. So we're really pleased with that. I've encountered a lot of people who have said to me, I won't watch that show. Just flat out, I won't watch it. And when I ask why, the the answers vary from, oh, well, the premise just sounds excruciating to, oh, well, I don't think we should make fun of the Prime Minister. Now, obviously, there are huge age differences uh, between those two comments for, from, from the people I've spoken to. But I, that's, that's the thing that surprises me most, the I won't give it a go in the face of somebody telling me that it's actually quite good. Yeah, I just think it's uh, people... Um you know, people generally, I think, in this country are loath to give things that seem different or new a go, with very few exceptions. I mean, people were loath to give Frontline a go, and the only reason they gave Frontline a go was because it came from a, comp- a, gr- a group with a very strong track record who just had a huge hit show on the air, named The Late Show. And even then, keep in mind, when that show went to air, and now it's probably regarded as our, probably our finest, the country's probably the finest ever sitcom. That show was reviled. People watched it. It went out to tumbleweeds, and people hated it. Critics hated it. Today, you can't find a single critic who admits to having given that show a bad review, but everybody did. Its audiences were moderate when they went out. It took four or five episodes for people to work out that was a great show. Uh, and those guys had a track record. You know, we've all done things, but we haven't had it. None of us had had a late show behind us. Uh, and so I think it's very difficult for people, and I think in this country, it's a very Australian thing to sort of to genuinely embrace something which seems different or oddball or new. Something Josh mentioned before, which I found really weird, was the number of people writing articles claiming it was disrespectful to the office of the Prime Minister. Yeah. 
as if we had never had the Gillies Report or Rubbery Figures or, or any of these kind of shows before, that was the one that, that surprised me most. Was that one surprising to you? Uh, not really, but the most of the time, it's, look, it's almost always, I can't really think of a single commentary of that kind that hasn't been code. The first lot of commentaries about it being disrespectful to the Prime Minister was clearly code for people who were at least in their, in their hearts, Labor supporters or progressive politics supporters who thought that when they say not respectful to the Prime Minister, they really mean you're not allowed to make fun of people from the Labor Party. That's really, that's what, that's really what that's code for. And then when the flag thing broke, you had conservatives who saw an opportunity to trash the show because when they said it was disrespectful to the Prime Minister, they were really sort of playing to a certain strand of their support base, which is very traditional, very conservative, and they saw an opportunity. I didn't really get anyone very far because in the end, you probably saw from all the surveys online and everything, that in the end... About 65% of people thought that it wasn't offensive, and probably about a third did. But look, in fairness, all those people have, all those people on both sides of politics have a slight point, which is this is the first show we've done in this country which appears to, it doesn't actually, but it appears on, it, on its face, to focus on one Prime Minister rather than everybody in politics, whereas the Gillies Report was sort of a did everybody and fast forward did everybody and the late show did everybody. In fact, of course, this show does everybody as well, and I think we're much meaner to other people on our show than... than Gillard or Tim Matheson. I mean, if I was Rob Oakeshott or Kevin Rudd, I'd be much more upset, you know, than, than Gillard, I think, should be, or Matheson should be. Morning, Mr. T. Might have to bring date night forward if you're going to bring out the dessert trolley this early. What's juicy? <laughs> oh. Morning, Mrs. Prime Minister. Morning, Mr. Kim. Morning, Jesus. G'day, Jesus. Right, what have you got on today? Oh, heaps. Uh, bank, post office. Keep getting the Howards mail. Weird. They barely lived here. Well, you just tell them. Return to sender. Got voted out. Didn't hurry. <laughs> oh, it started already. Good morning, President Ahmadinejad. Am I wearing a headscarf? That depends. Are you wearing an aqua dinner jacket? Well, no, it's a play on words. It probably works better in English. Was there ever discussion about making making her a, a, a non-specific prime minister? Like, would that have been uh, crossed your mind? Yeah, but it just wasn't as funny. It's just not as just not as pointed. The, the, the daring thing is to do it about to do it about the sitting prime minister. Because the truth is that that domestic relationship, although it's only part of the show, is is in fact historically very unusual. And it's very, very interesting to do. And I think she's a really interesting character. And as soon as you sort of do it about someone who's sort of meant to be that person but is not actually that person, I just don't think it's as interesting or as powerful. We did talk about it, but we talked about it almost as something not to do. Mm-hmm. Amanda's characterisation of, of uh, Julia Gillard is, is an over-the-top sketch comedy characterisation. And most of the others are fairly, are fairly straight. I, I was particularly... Yeah. Uh, impressed by Paul McCarthy's uh, uh, Kevin Rudd. He's great, isn't he terrific? He's, because he is so low-key, and we're not used to seeing Paul McCarthy so low-key. No, and in fact, he actually said, I've got to look, we, we, uh, there are two things I have to mention about that, and they're really neither, to do with, n- neither of them to do with me. One of them is we brought in a really, really good, grounded, highly skilled director, Erin White, who had done lots and lots of short films, and she's sort of one of those world-class people who, of whom it, well, we said we knew her when. You know, she's had a short film at Sundance. She's won the Sydney Film Festival Short Film Award. She's won Flickr Fest. Uh, she's a fantastic director, both of drama and of comedy. And her attitude was she would do it, but only if she could really ground it and make it feel real. And the second thing is that McCarthy came to us when he... He's a friend of mine, and when I asked him to do it, and he said, yes, but he wants to play it real because he didn't want to do any more over-the-top sketch appearances, sketch sort of type performances. He wanted to do something different. So I've really got to give credit to Erin and Paul for that. It was really their decision. But the attitude we had going into constructing the series was that Amanda's performance of Gillard had to be a little bit heightened and over the top to sort of really sort of carry a lot of the things that she does in the episode. But as a result of that almost, almost as a result of that, everybody around her had to play it fairly straight and sort of ground the show in some sort of reality or it would just sort of topple over. The uh, the the thing that struck me with the first episode, and, and I have to say, I was, I was trying hard not to prejudge it, but... Uh, the you know I, I was I was like I think everybody else who is exactly my age living exactly the kind of leftist middle class lifestyle that I'm I, I was I was uh, cautious about it uh, was was how t- 
touching the the story was, particularly uh, Phil Lord's Phil Lord's portrayal of uh, of Tim Matheson and how how much pathos there was in there. Yeah, I'm just a hairdresser standing in front of a prime minister. Ask you to love him. I'd give the job away right now if it meant you'd have me back. Good idea! Quick! Quick! Yes! You silly thing. I could never ask you to do that. Come on! No, I think you should ask her. It was only uh, episode three where I actually listened to the lyrics of the opening song. Yeah. And, And that actually does give us a really good idea of what to expect in terms of the, the pathos of the show. When I am down here on the floor You give me something more And I could sail around the world When you're here with me There's nothing I can't be You keep my sky... I'm wondering about the, the choice of having... Uh, Gillard vocals on that opening we theme music. That in fact, they're now both on iTunes. You can hear them for yourself. There's a straight version and a Gillard version. Uh, the, in the end, the decision was that the Gillard version was clearly slightly more amusing. It, it would sort of, you just, when you heard it, even if you didn't find it hilarious, her voice, and some people don't, it made you smile. But the thing that it really did for me, thematically, was that because it was in a Gillard voice, it made it even clearer that it was Gillard telling you why it is that she, the Prime Minister, with her high status, is in a relationship with a man of comparatively low status, who's not a particularly high-powered individual. And that song explains the entire premise of the show to you, which is that, she, that, that despite everything that happens to her, he makes it all worthwhile. And that theme is more powerfully expressed in the end, we decided, if it was Gillard singing the song, not Amanda singing the song. That was the decision. We could have been wrong, and people can hear for themselves, because both versions are on iTunes now, but we had a big internal discussion. There were about 12 of us in the room talking about it and we ended up voting about eight to four to go with the Gillard version. Right, so 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 quite quite a big split as well. Yeah, we were, we we're not sure. I mean, even to this day, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure what it would have um, sounded like. I mean, I always had a problem, even though I was a big fan of Captain Kim, I always had a problem with that theme song, The Joker, because it was really not, as a song, it was nothing like the rest of the show. It was sung by someone who was not a character from the show and it just sounded like someone doing a show tune type song because they could, because it was their show. Mm-hmm. It just didn't feel like it was driving the theme of the show. It felt indulgent rather than really driving the story. And so we, what we wanted was not to do that. She, you know, although it was going to be a theme song, you know, it was, it, which was written by us, it was well, written by Amanda most, more specifically, um, we, we, wanted it to, um, we wanted it to sort of drive the story, drive the theme of the show. The second thing is we also wanted to pay tribute to the fact that all our favourite sitcoms, and Amanda, Phil and I are all, you know, massive fans of and students of, you know, virtually every great sitcom. We just love them all. And we sat around the entire time swapping, you know, DVDs and tapes of favourite sitcoms. Was, we wanted to pay tribute to the fact that all our favourite sitcoms had a great theme song, and the theme song always told you it was time to rush in from the dinner room and sit down and watch the show which is why you have those opening keyboards, those little keyboard stab at the start of the theme song, because that was almost like the keyboard wash at the start of Family Ties or the helicopter sound at the start of MASH. You know, um, it told you it was time to sit down and watch your show. So I mean, we really wanted it to have a classic late 70s, early 80s feel. And you know, in the end, in fact, it actually got a bit of an Amy Winehouse feel. But that was just what ended up being what was the best instrumentation for Amanda's song. But Amanda and I talked about it. And Amanda wrote the song, but she and I listened, must have listened to 30 theme songs that we loved. You know, the greatest American hero theme song and Hill Street Blues and all kinds of things, the Rockford Files, all kinds of shows, um, just to sort of work out the tone we wanted to strike. And that's, you know, that's, that's how that song came about. With, with all the controversy, with all the prejudging, with all of the knowledge that people weren't going to like the, the concept because it uh, makes fun of something that they're very passionate about. Yes. How did the show even get up? Because the ABC... Uh, what to a few few reasons? Um, they really liked Amanda Bishop, and Amanda Bishop's uh, impersonational characterization of Gillard had really taken off because she had done a sketch. You know, she'd done that song from that short-lived seventh series double take, which I had also worked on, and I had co- written or co-written that song, which became this big viral hit. Um, you know, she did a song to, which was a parody of the Dolly Parton song Nine to Five, called Nine to Nine, about being flogged alive as everybody was in the Labor Party by Kevin Rudd. If you want to be a federal Labor politician, first you better know the leader's position is work all day and 
and the song had a very couple of lines which I had chucked in at the last minute. It's a very strange story about how those lines came to be in there, which predicted that in due course you would topple him. Uh, topple, topple, Rudd. And in fact, a year after that show went off the air, that's exactly what happened. And the song, which had only had about 5,000 hits on YouTube, suddenly went from having 5,000 to having over a million hits on YouTube in the space of about a month. So Amanda suddenly had a lot of attention on her for her Gillard characterization. That was the first thing. Second thing was then that I had worked with Amanda, Phil Lloyd and Amanda had worked together, and Phil Lloyd and I separately had worked together before. And we all sort of sat down together and said, well, what idea could we sort of come up with to do something more substantial with Amanda's characterization than just a bunch of sketches? We wanted to do a political satire, and then we thought, well, this could be an interesting, slightly unusual way to do one. And we took it to the ABC. And the package was, it was me, Amanda and Phil. Phil was obviously a bit of a conquering darling there because he's had this very great cult success there with, you know, Review with Miles Barlow. Amanda had just done a guest appearance on Rake and she'd also been in Penelope K, by the way, which aired very successfully on the ABC. You know, it was a kids show done by BBC Worldwide. Um, so it was you know, an attractive package to them. And we took it to Amanda Duffy first, who's the head of arts and entertainment at the ABC. She took it across the hall to Debbie Lee. That was in late November. We had a deal to write the pilot by Christmas. So, you know, four weeks later, which is very fast at the ABC. And, you know, we started writing it in February 2011. As I said to you before we started recording, we delivered it to the 1st of April, and we knew within about three weeks they were going to do the series. And they more or less greenlit the series, albeit informally, on the strength of the first draft of the first script. It, it was insanely fast. Did you know it was going to go to air so quickly as well, or was that a, a change? Yes, it was a bit of a change. Initially, there was some discussion. of there was, It was never quite clear if it would be developed for ABC 1 or 2. There was some discussion about it being ABC 2, and it was developed as a six-parter on that basis. And then when it got promoted to ABC 1, the ABC 1 said, uh, look, you can do it, but we need to know you can get it on the air by this date, because ABC 1 is scheduled so far in advance. And they knew they had a little four-week window in September, and so they said, can you get it on the air by then? Because if you can't, let's not do it, but if you can, we'll do it. We said, well, you know, we'll move heaven and earth and we'll get it done. So we changed it from a six-part series to a four-part series, and that was how it came to pass. So we didn't really know going in it was going to be that fast. But the ABC eventually worked out that it was very topical stuff, and the sooner you got it on, on the air, the better. And also, even by the time that we started developing the series seriously, uh, Prime Minister Gillard's polls were going down, and there was a real question, you know, if you left it for a year, as the ABC sometimes does, would she still be in... We should still be around, so all those things. And in the end, of course, we didn't even know how good the timing was. I mean, now Rudd is seriously making a leadership challenge, there's no doubt about it. And that's exactly what happens in the last episode of our show. You know, we just didn't know just how timely it was going to be. So is there scope for a second series, do you think? Yeah, you'll see that we've left it open. We would oh, Look, uh, uh, there's some dis- discussion among the three of us at the moment, among Amanda, Phil and I. Our attitude is we think we have one more series in us. Um... Uh, one more sort of four or six part series in us um, um, but we would have to our attitude is we would love to do it but as long as we could think of a really really interesting satisfying arc for it that was different to the first series and if we could we would love to do more um, but I guess there's a real question is we have to sort of see if uh, if Gillard will still be around it's just not clear that I hope that she will be but I, I'm just not, it's not just not clear that she will be if she's not there's some talk where there is some talk about doing something which would be a Related, a different but related variant on this idea. Rick Kalaski, thank you so much for, for joining us on Box Cutters. It's, it's been eye-opening or ear-opening. Well, as, well, well. Uh, thank as... you very much for having me. It's been a lot of fun talking to people who actually love their television. Box Cutters. Now, Brett, we've had the rule of three on Box Cutters for a long time. Not mm. right from the beginning, but for a long time. Uh, you came up with the rule of three. You yep. said you have to watch three episodes to get a really good feel for a show. You have to give a new show at least the first three episodes. At least the first three episodes. Before you can make a call on it. Because the first one is kind of written in isolation because that's the one that they're Talking trying to the sell. Yep. That's the one that they're trying to sell to the network. So they kind of put uh, everything they've got into that episode and try to make it the best episode that it can be, but it's not really necessarily a reflection of the show itself. They're shopping that around. The kids who are playing the characters are going to be changed in the second episode because they'll have aged two years. So the the second episode is (laughs) is the first chance we get at seeing what the show's actually like, but that's also the show where they tell us why everything's changed from the first episode. It's all your exposition. It's all taken up with exposition. And so the third episode is really... The first episode that you can judge a sh- to get rolling, as, right. as it will be, yeah. 
but you can't just start with the third episode because then you'll have missed out on all that exposition. You won't know why the man with the limp is the man with the limp. Yep. Right? That's, that's your theory. You cross that now, Glenn? All over it like a rash. Excellent. Diaper rash. Diaper rash. <laughs> the, uh, well, it's interesting that you, you, you say diaper rash because that's, uh, that's in Heart of Dixie. Uh, she she mentions uh, diaper rash in, uh, in in the first five minutes of the show. This is the show that really made me think. You know, on top of Ringer, which I've discussed, really made me think. Maybe the rule of three isn't necessary for everything. No, the rule of three is necessary because you've got that exact thought. Well, let me let me play you a little something. Now, this is the first five minutes of Heart of Dixie. Mm-hmm. To save time, I've, uh, I've I've played around with it a, a, a little bit. Were you so, recording as you were watching? As so, this is uh, this is Heart of Dixie. This is how it starts. See the New Yorker in the Chanel jacket that doesn't quite fit in. That's me, Doctor Zoe Hart. Yesterday, I took a cab to my job at one of Manhattan's best hospitals. Today, I'm on a bus in the middle of nowhere. But I guess my journey really began four years ago. Blah, blah, blah. Let's speed things up a little bit here. My name is Dr. Harley Wilkes. I'm from Bluebell, Alabama. I'd like to offer you a job. Thanks. That's really flattering. But I have a plan. After I finish my surgical residency, I'll do a fellowship in thoracics. Then I'll go on to become a cardiothoracic surgeon like my dad. Our last name's Hart, so it's predestined. You're off. My mother never wanted me to be a surgeon. Congratulations. She thought the fluorescent lights would give me wrinkles. I know you'll be happy following your father's footsteps. Not at all. The most amazing boyfriend who got what it was like to be a surgeon, too. Best part was, we both were going to do our residencies in the hospital where my dad... It's four years later, and you know I wouldn't be sitting next to a guy who smells like... Fake cheese and chow. If it had turned out like I hoped. Do in for it. What do you mean I didn't get the cardiothoracic fellowship? No one wanted this more than me. Best hands I've seen in 30 years. Last week, you ignored Mrs. Zucker when she asked you to read to her. I'm a surgeon, not a librarian. You need to learn to see patients as people to help, not puzzles to solve. So if you want my recommendation next year, spend the next 12 months as a general practitioner. First of all, diarrhea and diaper rash. Every fellowship was taken. I had put all my eggs in the wrong basket. Dr. Wilkes, this is Zoe Hart leaving a message. You win. I'm on my way. It wasn't New York. It really, really wasn't New York. But I was going to figure out a way to make this work. First, I needed a cab. Now that that, that was five minutes that I condensed down into, into about two minutes and ten seconds there. Did you watch that in the actual five minutes the first I time watched, you watched I that? watched that in, the, in, the, in, in, in actual five minutes and, my God, I grew a beard in that five minutes. It, it was the longest five minutes ever. And, and Josh, um, can I please have my mind back? <laughs> I listened to that and it really hurt. And I have no mind. Now, now, because be- she's talked it out. It, it it really hurt my mind. There is so I've cut out so much of that. Well, not, not cut it out. I, I sped up so much of that. I've that, I've watched that much, and then maybe about a minute once she gets down to Alabama, to Alabama, and I had to turn away at that point. And now I'm I'm feeling that general nausea that I that I was at the time. Right. So but, should, do, you, do you not think though that that it, see I watched the whole episode. Mm-hmm. I sat through the whole first episode. Just one? Just one. And feel that I know enough of the show now that I never have to watch it again. But you can't judge it on that. But S- why not? Because the first one's the pilot. Okay. The second one's the exposition. Yeah, yeah. All right. And the third one, they get a chance to start and rolling. And what about in a show like At Home with Julia, where there are only four episodes? See, I was ready to write that one off after the first episode. I so detested the first episode, and the second episode wasn't much better. But then the third and fourth, I thought, were worthy TV shows. See, I thought the first episode was great of At Home with Julia. See, I'm going to, because, you know, I love being the devil's avocado, mm. Um 
I'd like to revise that rule of three. And I thought it was a reasonable rule of three when I thought it was a rule of three minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And I have, and I still have that idea. And I think really, um, we, we are talking about something happened a few years ago when we started watching DVD shows Mm. and before that. And I'd say The Wire would be the one that we'd all agree was the one where you said 10 episodes, you have a massive narrative that happens in 10 episodes. The Wire famously, nothing happens until episode six. Until episode six, but it's all subtly happening and that sort of thing. Now, I have – I would agree quite a bit with the TV – executives who apply the rule of three minutes if they're not watching and they're turning off in three minutes the show's sucks um in my day work i i have to make um entertaining television in 15 or 30 seconds and i get really frustrated oh, i do advertising yeah uh, but, but yeah. that's not a serious no, 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 you're a news reporter but i get frustrated frustrated if you can't get the story out in 5 7 11 15 22 minutes it frustrates the absolute hell out of me. And also the good television does do a lot of recapping and that sort of thing. So three episodes I don't think I could deal with. Um, Game of Thrones. Mm. We played Game of Thrones first time I came on this show. We, we did. We, we rolled those dice. Now, I did. I don't remember which side you're on. Uh, I was on the... Please kill me. This show is hurting my mind. Yeah, because I, I felt like an outcast having having been yes. the one that, that was really enjoying it out of this show. And then it wasn't until a month later when I started to pick up on the buzz from other and ev- almost everybody else that loved yes. it. Except, except you and me, Glenn. Everybody else in Box Cutters loves, loves exactly. it as well. Courtney, Dave, John, they all love Game of Thrones. Now, do you know the thing, the, the elevator explanation thing that, you know, where oh, the elevator pitch. pitch. The elevator pitch, where you explain the idea in an elevator. I like to think of it as explain the idea in, on an answering machine message. Now, if I'm not happy with – the idea should come out in 10 minutes of the television show. If the idea of the show, the big idea, Game of Thrones is what? Politics in loincloth with breasts, mm. right? Now, if that idea doesn't – I'm not appealed to it. I'm not it three pop. episodes, thirty episodes. I'm not going to get into politics with breasts and warlocks. I don't care. That's the there big no idea. Warlocks there. No, 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 no. There was there was no actual fantasy <laughs> magical <laughs> stuff. It doesn't matter. It it doesn't matter. It's not appealing to him. You know, whoring dwarves doesn't appeal to him. Wolf. He was great, and he was a, an audience favorite. Wolfskin <laughs> and swords doesn't appeal to Glenn. Like that's just. That's just not going to float Glenn's boat. In the same way that overly exposition, uh, ex- expositioned stories about uh, little poor little rich girls who don't get to do the the, the medicine that they want to do, uh, and whose daddy doesn't really love her. Uh, doesn't float my boat, and that- quite possibly that is going to be the biggest piece of shit this year. Possibly, I don't know. But, I've seen, I've seen ring in up. In the but main, in the main, it's the the box cutters rule of three has served us really well. In the main, it has, but is it always? Is it like? So at, at, well, you don't know until you've watched the three. At home with Julia. What about? Uh, see, see, at home with Julia. I had no idea until I watched the third. What about the slap? You get a really good sense of what the slap is is all about and how it's handled. After the first two episodes. Oh, really? The slap, the way that's written, it's the first ten minutes. You've got it. <laughs> You've got that show. You're all over it. Oh, and that's and that's and and you know what? And a good a, a TV show done well. I, I reckon that you got to get through until the the end of the first episode before you you really see the colours of the other characters. Until you know until you know which of those little shits get slapped. And then you can fairly clear who's gonna get slapped. And then you can feel satisfied. No, at the first I saw a kid at the start, I thought I'd slap that kid. <laughs> Share with your sister. Really? Bam Really? <laughs> I'll slap you. I'll exactly, slap you. So, exactly. Yeah. As soon as he was on screen, you knew he was going to be the one to get slapped. No, yeah, but uh, but until until that happened, I was like, "Is that kid going to get slapped? Is that kid going to get slapped?" the the th- The thing is, though, now that I know which kid gets slapped, I've got my closure, and, <laughs> and I'm and I'm fine with that. One episode done. But, right. But really, what I'm getting at the is is the slap is 
expertly, you know what's on. It's called The Slap. So the idea of the show is all over it. I'm just saying the elevator pitch just expresses the idea of the show. Very, You can do it in seven words. Well, High five, wiggles with nipples. There it is. There's the show. But The Wire, you, look, you're right with The Wire because you look at the screen Bible or whatever the pitch is and it's a 90-page document of craziness. You know, that, that, that is part of a good show. What is the... What is the elevator pitch of Lost, for example? You mm. can't you can't just base it on, on an elevator pitch. Because Lost, you go, well, they're lost on a magical island and there are monsters, uh, but it's about relationships. And you just go, well, that sounds crap. And but that's pretty much what the show is, isn't it? That is that yeah. is what the show is, but it's in the execution that that the quality of the show really comes out. And you see that in the first episode. The first episode makes you want to see three episodes. I think if the first episode of a show doesn't make you want to see three episodes, the show has failed. So you're saying you need great idea, great execution, show's awesome. Yeah. Make better television. That's easy. That's, that's easy. Just do it. But that's not how TV works. But I wish it did, Brett. I know. Another poster. I have a letter you read it? You're a godsend. Savior. No, I'm, I'm just the postman. The postman. The postman. The postman. The postman. Anonymous David writes in. <laughs> hey, well, there are so many Davids. There are so many Davids. Mm-hmm. I reckon they're all anonymous now. He says, uh, thanks for the heads up on Death Valley. The ep I've seen is censored. Picture and sound. Is that the way it is? Or did I see a toned down version? Ta, I have not seen censored pictures of Death Valley. Have you seen any of Death Valley yet, Brad? I've seen the opening couple of minutes, but then was moving on to uh, to your, your idiot surgeon in Alabama. Ah, really? Um, so you, you but- turned you turned off Death Valley to watch Heart of Dixie. Um, on my way to six episodes for next week's show. De- Death Valley. Have you seen any of Death Valley? No, I haven't seen Death Valley. It's it's this great MTV show uh, about the San Fernando Valley in uh, in in California. Yep. Zombies, vampires, werewolves have all decided to live in like Van Nuys and uh, and th- those neighborhoods, the Valley Girl style neighborhoods of uh, of, of uh, just north of LA. Well, you watching my eyes glaze over there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so, so they they move in there, and then there's a task force that uh, has to keep them under control and there's a cop-style crew that follows this task force around and, and sees their adventures, killing zombies, etc., etc., etc. fantastic. Right, it's right. fun. It's yeah, really okay. fun. It's, it's a really funny show as well. It's funny. Yeah. Oh, good. It is, it is really funny and, uh, and, and does really great work. I, I mentioned it uh, on the show a few weeks ago and it is also really violent. Yep. Really mega people getting shot in the head every week violent. Fabulous, and I've not seen a, uh, a a cut version, a censored version, image wise. So, David, I think how many episodes just, have you seen? Have I've seen, seen six, I think. Okay, interesting. Because now that now that you give us some more information that it's on MTV, the Human Giants episodes that I have are all quite savagely censored. Any language. Um, quite a bit of blacking well, out language. So this was the, this was. The shows that went to air. They Language. could be hotel MTV. You know, the crazy MTV you get in Malaysian hotels? Ah. Where crazy, crazy Malaysian hotel MTV. Yeah. yeah, so MTV for a like a diverse audience where you don't want to offend anybody, MTV. Actually, yeah, David, have a look. If, you're, uh, if your torrents have CMH on the end of it, that stands for Crazy Malaysian Hotel. So, <laughs> yeah. just don't get those torrents. Get uh, get different ones. If you have a letter to Boxcutters, you can send it to hooray at boxcutters.net. If you watch one thing. If I was going to watch one thing this week, it would be Crazy Malaysian Hotel MTV. I love that channel. <laughs> I love that channel so much. They, they have so much extra space for content, uh, they still have songs on there. <laughs> but it, all their songs are censored. So. It's, it's M-pop and J-pop and K-pop. Yeah. But, you know, whatevs. Yeah, still. Put it's it in pop. your bowl, pour milk on it. Pop. Tasty. Uh, if I was going to watch one thing this week, it would be 
a.m. Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning. Mm -hmm. Work that out on your own. Uh, Happy Days episode called Hot Stuff. Whoa. Now, Happy Days is where... This is Fonzie uh, riding his motorbike off a ramp through a ring of fire? No. That's um, that's back in the day when Arnold still owned Arnold's and and he was trying to sell all his fried chicken and stuff. No. It's not that episode. Uh, Aldevecchio owns Arnold's. Uh, in this in this episode, and Chachi is working for Al, and uh, leaves his apron on the uh, uh, on the stove. Um, yep, and Arnold's burns down. Now, Happy Days is the show where Jumping the Shark, the term, came from. Yep, or, or was was given its its birth from. Interestingly, Glenn told me to watch an episode of the Jonathan Ross show. Uh, that Wassie. had, yeah, that had, yeah, sorry, the Jonathan Wass show, <laughs> Wassy, uh, that had uh, that had Alan Partridge and Ewan McGregor on it, and Ewan McGregor uh, jumped his motorcycle over three guests, and so I've seen the Jonathan Ross episode where it jumps the Partridge. <laughs> huh? Wow, wow, Butch. that's amazing! How did you do that? Uh, it's uh, that took all weekend. It's- Hot stuff is the episode where. Uh, Arnold's burns down where a lot of people think that's where Happy Days actually jumps the shark. So it's before the shark jumping episode. That was before they went to California. Uh, yeah. It's a pivotal, a pivotal Happy Days episode. And if you watch the next night, then you get to see the new Arnold's as well. Which so they is, just wanted to change the set, really. Yeah, everything goes to shit oh, after that. Refurb. It's like Dinkum Pies refurb. Ugh. <laughs> it's also the reason I can't stand when anybody leaves an apron or a tea towel on the stove. In their house is because of that episode of Happy Days. Glenn, if you were going to watch one thing this week, what would it be? Um, now, I'm going to go back in time and I'm going to watch. Ooh, I'm going to get on iView and watch again the Christos Tolkis interview that was on. So it's on iView and it is fabulous. It starts off a bit mm, boring, but then Christos Tolkis and Geraldine do. Get down and dirty about religion, oh. and it is a fascinating discussion. And also, he's if you are watching the slap, if you have an opinion about the book, uh, this is essential viewing, essential because he tells you that he doesn't like the characters either. I just like the idea of two intelligent people speaking about things we don't often hear. People speak about on television, boring television. Brett, my one thing. Yes, is that's the segment Thursday that's night, what we're doing. eight thirty PM. Uh, ABC One goes for an hour. It's the slap. Really? Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Did you like it? I'm I'm interested in watching how those relationships and those, yeah those relationships go. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. I I was. I was quite shocked at the the ferocity of the slap itself. I'm uh, I'm clearly in the minority here because everybody else I've spoken to uh, absolutely loved the first episode, and I found it torture. And the, no, uh, I wouldn't say I absolutely loved it. I'm, se- I, I'm engaged by it. the The second episode I thought was I, I thought was better, uh, but she was also the only character that I thought I could have any. Uh, any empathy for that's a nuke. Second episode is is all about a nuke. I really like the set design in the slap. the The backyard is a star in the slap because that's almost exactly how I imagined it in my mind. Oh, did you read the book? Yeah, I read the book. Oh, yeah. I saved myself those hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I didn't read all the book. <laughs> <laughs> I turned off at a certain point, but I got the general gist. But that's yeah, uh, nice. that, so you're plenty to watch if you're going to watch one thing yeah. heaps mm. that brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode 281 I want to say thanks very much to Rick Kalowski for being on the uh, on the phone and speaking so honestly about At Home with Julia and uh, I, I look forward to the uh, DVD coming out with three and a half hours of extra footage I look forward to the next season uh, At Home with Paul Keating with John Biggins what about At Home with Alan Jones? I really like that oh. Alan Jones guy. That was hilarious. That, that Alan Jones, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was good. Or the security guard guy. The security guard guy. The security guard. Oh, yeah, he, yeah, he was really he funny. He was good too. Yeah. Yeah. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm Glenn Peters. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Boxcutters. Catch us again next week, same bat time, same bat channel. And hey, let's be careful out there.
Crosscutters is produced by Josh Canal with Brett Cropley and John Richards and help from Courtney Hocking and Dave Lawson. John Richards edited this episode. Peter Wilson from Soup Giant is the man behind making sure you can actually download stuff. He's good that way. We'd like to thank 3RRR, the greatest radio station in the world, for letting us use their studios to record this podcast. Find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 FM if you listen to radio the old-fashioned way. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can show your appreciation by leaving a positive review on iTunes or maybe just telling some friends what they're missing out on. You can also donate actual cash money to us by using the donate button at the top of our website. Donating helps keep the show alive and makes us smile. Our website is boxcutters.net and you can find all sorts of ways to contact us there. You know what I just realised, Glenn? Is that in, in that credits, we don't have you listed as a, as a contributor to the yeah, show. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, sorry. That's okay. Sorry about that. Say your name now. Say it. Say it. Say your name. Glenn Peters. We'll fix that later on. Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Gutters. <laughs>